Genesis 43. You know the story. Jacob had sent his ten older sons down to Egypt to buy food. For you see, there was a terrible famine in the land of Canaan. In fact, there was a terrible famine throughout the whole region. And they were starving. But word filtered up into Canaan that in Egypt, down below, down south, there were provisions. That provision had been made for those years of famine. That there was food stored away. And when Jacob heard that, he sent his ten older sons to go down to Egypt to buy food. And these sons arrived and they were brought before the big kahuna, the prime minister. A man that they knew very well, but didn't recognize at that time. For you see, the prime minister, the big kahuna, number two, only to Pharaoh himself, it was their younger brother, Joseph. The one that they had sold into slavery. The one they were envious of. The one they were out to do in. The one they thought was long gone. And now, unbeknownst to them, for he is not recognized by them, he is in his Egyptian dress. And he is speaking the Egyptian language. And working through a translator, he begins to discuss their situation. And then Joseph, recognizing obviously those ten men were his older brothers, Joseph says, you're spies. No, no, we're not, they protested vehemently. We're not spies. We, we come from Canaan, and we have a father there, and a younger brother who's still there with his dad. He was referring, of course, to Benjamin. Really? Joseph said. If that be so, prove it. I'm going to hold one of you, Simeon, as a hostage. You, you'll stay here. The rest of you go back and bring this younger brother of yours down here that I may know that you are true men, that you're speaking truthfully. Well, the nine others go back north, and when Jacob the dad hears this story, we read how he declared in verse 36 of chapter 42, when he heard this, when he heard this story about how now they were desiring to take Benjamin down to Egypt, oh, he says, me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. Joseph, Jacob thought, was dead. And Simeon is not. Simeon's a hostage. And you will now take Benjamin away, my youngest son? No way. All these things are against me. Yet as we've seen how wrong he was, in reality, everything was working together for good. That's the promise for you, and it's the promise for me. All things work together for good. If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul proclaimed. But Jacob here, his faith is weak. His frustration is great. Oh, everything is against me. No, God is for you. Who can be against you? Everything. No, all things are working together for good, Jake. But you see, his heart aches. His faith is wobbly. He can't see. And he thinks everything is working against him, which was not so. Well, 
The nine older brothers now stayed there with their dad and with Benjamin, but they ran out of food again. The provision that they brought back up north, hey, it didn't last very long. And so we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 43. The famine was sore in the land. It came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. And Judah, one of the brothers, spoke unto Jacob, saying, The man, I like that, you the man. I mean, he he was the man. Uh, The man, this guy in, in Egypt, it was Joseph. Their brother, of course, they didn't know that yet. The man, he solemnly protested unto us, saying, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. Don't come back unless you bring Benjamin too. If thou wilt send our brother with us, verse 4, then we'll go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, Dad, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. So Jacob, Israel, said, Wherefore dealt you so ill with me as to tell the man that you had yet another brother? Why did you open your big mouths, boys? Why did you even bring up the fact that you had another brother up here? Why couldn't you just keep your trap shut? And they said, Hey, verse 7, The man asked us straightly of our state. And of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad Benjamin with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones, and... I, Judah says, verse 9, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Dad, Judah says, I take total responsibility. I will be the surety. I will guarantee with my own life that Benjamin will be brought back safely. Dad, we can't go down there again without Benjamin. The man said, we couldn't see his face. We shouldn't come back unless we bring little Benny. And I guarantee that he'll be okay. I give you my word. I lay my life on the line. And then Judah goes on to say in verse 10, For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. We could have gone down and been back by now, Dad. We can't delay any longer. We're wasting time. The life of our whole family is in jeopardy. Their father, verse 11, Israel said, If it must be so now, do this. Take the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the manna present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds, and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought back in the mouth of your sacks. Remember how they came back with their sacks of grain and what was in those sacks? The money that they had given to Joseph to buy that grain 
suddenly, mysteriously, shockingly appeared back in their sack when they got back home again. Be like if you went, you know, to Fred Meyer and bought a bunch of stuff for 500 bucks and you came home and there in the sacks, the $500 was right there laying on top of the clothes you just bought. You know. Be nice, huh? But it was dangerous for them, you see. So take double money. Take, take double the money that came back in the sack, man. And take also, verse 13, your brother. Take Benjamin and arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother, Simeon, the hostage, and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. If I lose Benjamin, then I will be bereaved perpetually. Verse 15, the men took the present, and they took double the money in their hand, and they took Benjamin, and rose up, and went down to Egypt, and stood before Joseph. Now when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home, bring them into my house, and slay, that means barbecue, and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. By the way, you students of eschatology, these men shall die with me, dine with me at noon. In the midst of their tribulation, because these ten men, and now Benjamin along with them, they were in tribulation, famine, and now standing before Pharaoh's prime minister, they knew that they were in real trouble. And yet, and yet Joseph, who is a picture, a type of who? Jesus Christ. Joseph says, hey, in the midst of this time of famine and tribulation, they're going to dine with me. I'm going to make provision for them. I'm going to give blessing to them, even though they don't yet know who I am. I'm going to be there for them. And when Israel as a nation goes through the tribulation described in Revelation chapters 6 through 19, God will be with them. God will be protecting them, providing for them, God will be working through them, working on them, even as Joseph here. Even though they don't yet recognize him, Joseph says, bring them to my table. We're going to dine. We're going to barbecue together at noon. So the man did as Joseph bade, verse 17, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house that day. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. We're in trouble. By the way, the tribulation is called by the prophet Jeremiah the time of Jacob's, what? Trouble. And they were afraid. They were troubled greatly. And they said, the, the, the money that was returned in our sacks the first time we brought in, that's why he's brought us to his house today, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses too. Hmm. He's calling us to His table. He's calling us to His house. 
because because he wants to do us in. He wants to send us away as prisoners and take our donkeys too. Do you know that people still have this view of the greater than Joseph, Jesus? Did you know people still feel as though, oh man, because I've blown it so badly, I've erred so greatly, I know the Lord's going to want to yell at me, put chains around me, take my donkey from me, my husband, or whatever. That's not so. Even though these guys had blown it royally, you see, what they're going to be discovering is an incredible grace, an unbelievable mercy, because Joseph is a picture of Jesus. And where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Here's what the devil does to you, and here's what the devil does to me. When you are aware of your failings, when you're aware of your weaknesses, when you're aware of your inconsistencies, your stubbornness, your rebellion, your just flat-out plain old sin, there's a tendency to say, I can't go to church. No way. I can't go to fellowship. Uh-uh. Because if I go, I know that the greater than Joseph, Jesus, he's got to be mad at me. I'm going to get all bound up with rules and regulations and I'm going to be sent away to the prison of condemnation. I'm going to lose my donkey too. Listen to what God says. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God says, I don't work like you do. When somebody offends you, when somebody is mean or nasty to you, I know what you do. I know your ways. I know your thoughts. Revenge. Make them pay. Bust them. But God says, that's not my way. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. This is so incredible. We need to realize that God is other. The Lord is so much different than we are in our fallen condition, in our depraved nature. God is good, Psalm 73, 1 says. He's just flat out plain old good, looking for ways in which He can bless even men like these who who threw him into a pit and, and, and sold him into slavery. Yet Joseph here, a picture of Jesus, says, I want them to eat with me. i got special things to give to them. Special revelation that I want to make known. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that God's like you. Good news, He's not. I know that you would think, well, if I was God, I would be mad at me. That's what I think all the time. If I was the Lord, I, I wouldn't put up with me. I mean, if I was the Lord, I wouldn't... You know what I'm saying. If I was the Lord, I wouldn't put up with a guy like me in my present state. But the Lord says, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. I am other. I, I, I'm different than you, you see. And here, this amazes me. These guys say, oh no, he's called us into his house. He's brought us to his table to do what? To beat us. 
Some people are afraid to go to the Lord's table. It's amazing to me. They've been taught wrongly that if you eat and drink unworthily, you're eating and drinking damnation. If there's sin in your life, watch out, because it'll only doom you. It'll make your condition worse. That's balderdash. That's hogwash, in my opinion. That's heresy. Eating and drinking unworthily means you're not giving worth to the Lord's blood and His body. That is... You don't value it. You don't see. You're free. You're clean. You're washed away. If you don't eat and drink worthily, it means you're not giving worth to it. You don't realize how free you are. Communion is to be a celebration, not this time of introspective condemnation. That's a whole other teaching, but I keep on having to remind people because so many of us were brought up in a way that communion was to be very, oh boy, I'm called into his house, I'm called before his table. Man, this is awful. This is a time of terror. He must be terribly mad at me. I better go through and make sure there's no problem in my life. That's that's as ridiculous as saying to someone who's sick and hurting, listen, before you go to the doctor, get well. Before you go into the hospital, make sure that there's no germs in your life. Make sure that before you go for surgery that there's no problems internally. You go to the doctor because you are sick. You go to the hospital because you have a problem. And you go to the Lord's table because you realize you're a sinner. There's problems. There's rebellions. There's inconsistencies. And you give worth to it. You say, thank you, Lord. Thou art worthy. Because by your blood I am cleansed. Thank you, Lord. And by eating your body you fill me again. Thank you, Lord. You give worth to it. And for that reason you will then find healing and restoration and help and health and so forth and so on. Don't approach the Lord's table saying, oh no, this is heavy. And oh boy, if I eat or drink unworthily, I'm drinking damnation to myself. No. It means that if you don't give worth to it, you just remain in your hurtful, sick condition. It's not going to help you at all, you see. In fact, the early church felt communion was so so freeing that they got a little carried away and Paul had to tell the Corinthian believers, look, 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 don't make it into a drunken party. That gives me a clue how they viewed communion. They did not view it with this somber, heavy, introspective, fearful kind of mentality that has crept into Protestant theology. They viewed it as a party, as a celebration, so much so that Paul had to say, hey, look, guys, drunkenness is not allowed at communion. That's, you know, don't, you're taking it too far, you see. Most of us don't have to worry about that. We're on the other side of the equation. Just like these boys. Oh, he's calling us to his table. Oh, no. Oh, no, this is terrible. He wants to eat with us at noon. Oh, no. It, it, it must be to... to put us in chains and to fall on us, you see. They were worried. By the way, if you want to eat with the Lord tomorrow at noon, you can do so up on the mountaintop. He invites you to come. Really? Yeah. Communion tomorrow, 1230, on the mountaintop. You say, oh, I already have a lunch appointment booked in. Well, how about breakfast? 630 in the morning, right here in the sanctuary. Take your pick. But... The Lord invites any and all, come and dine. Even if you feel like you've blown it, these boys blew it badly. 
And Joseph still says, Hey, get the meat ready. It's time to dine with my brothers. Those scoundrels whom I love deeply, you see. So, they were afraid. And, and they came near, verse 19, to the steward of Joseph's house. And they communed with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first to buy food. And it came to pass, when we came to the inn, we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. And we have brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. Hey, we brought back this money that appeared strangely, mysteriously in our sacks. And more money, too. And we cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Your money came to me. And then he brought Simeon out to them. Is this a great picture of the way of our Lord as it relates to money? It certainly is. You see, we give to the Lord in the tithe. It's His anyway. Or in the offering, an expression of love on any given day. And it comes back. I had your money. I had your money, the man says. Don't worry about that. I had your money. When you give to the Lord, it will come back in a way that will blow your mind mysteriously, timely, wonderfully, in all sorts of ways, whether it be spiritually, financially, relationally, whatever it might be, in whatever combination, the fact of the matter is this, you cannot outgive God. Remember that. Never forget that. Whether it's in money that you give or energy that you expend, you cannot outgive God. You give God your time, or you give the Lord your treasure. You're going to find it coming back in your direction. I, I, I had it, he'll say, and it came to me. Now it's in your sack again, you see. It's amazing how it works. And beside that, that part of your family that was held hostage, Simeon, here he is. <laughs> And the man brought the men into Joseph's house, and he gave them water, and they washed their feet. He gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present against Joseph at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. They got their, their present ready to give to him. What's going on? He's not taking our money. He's giving us water to refresh ourselves. He's taking care of our donkeys. He's not taking them away. <laughs> He's taking care of them today. Wow. They got their gift ready. Now when Joseph came home, verse 26, they brought him their present which was in their hand into the house and they bowed themselves before him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare. And he said, Is your father well, the old man of whom ye spake? Is, is dad okay? Is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes. And he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is, is this 
your younger brother of whom you spoke unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste for his bowels, his intestines, his heart did yearn upon his brother. He was just butterflies in his stomach, we might say today. His heart was beating, his heart was pounding. Here was Benjamin, his full younger brother. <laughs> and he sought where to weep. He, he had to get out of there because tears were filling his eyes. He didn't want these guys to see that. His eyes were filled with tears. He sought where he might go to weep. He entered into his chamber and he wept there. Here's Joseph weeping. Even as Jesus wept. Jesus wept on two occasions, we're told in the Gospel story. One in a cemetery at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept for his friend. The second time, over a city, the city of Jerusalem, Jesus wept and cried, wanted to gather Jerusalem to his side, but they wouldn't. So here Joseph, like Jesus, is weeping. Joseph is weeping. He cares so deeply, but, watch this, he does not yet reveal himself to these his brothers. His heart was pounding, his stomach was churning, his eyes were teary. He was emotionally engaged. Why didn't he? Because, because there was still work to do. There was still testing to take place. See, Jesus passionately wants to be with you. And Jesus passionately wants to be with me. <laughs> He loves us. We are His bride, His espoused bride. When you were in love, and you asked that gal to marry you, you can recall, man, you can remember, oh, I just can't wait until we're man and wife when we can share our lives together. Constantly experience intimacy. Have ecstasy, love, passion, friendship, all those things. That's the way Jesus feels about us. Well, then why doesn't He come and get us? If He cares that much about us, if He's that much in love with us, why is He still hiding like Joseph was hiding from these men in His disguise? Why is Jesus in disguise not coming back for us? There's still work to do, that's why. You see, Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us, John 14 says. I go to prepare what? A place for you. But He's also preparing us for the place. There's still work to do. Do you realize that there's still work to do in your life? He, he has deemed, He has determined, He has discerned that we're not quite ready. There's still some work to be done. When we're ready, He'll take us home. Either rapture us up, or He'll take us away through death. When the time is right, when the work that He wants to do has come to completion, then He'll take us home one way or the other. But if you're still left 
And I'm still left too. That means there's still work that He wants to do, not just through us, but He wants to do some more work on us. There's still some testing. There's still some junk that needs to be dealt with. Some preparations (laughs) that need to be made in my life. Even as He's preparing heaven for me, He's now preparing me for heaven. Man, Sunday morning I was in a hurry, you know, and and my wife wasn't there because she's stuck in Pendleton. She's up there. My boy Benjamin is on the all-star team, as I mentioned before, and they're still winning their games. So she's been there since last Wednesday. And they're playing again tonight. Just They keep playing. They keep winning. They're still semifinals are tonight, and championship, I hope, is tomorrow night. I, I trust, I pray, I hope. And I, I talk to her at night, you know, and she says, man, I've never been anywhere like Pendleton. (laughs) Have you guys been to Pendleton? There's nothing there, she tells me. There's nothing. She says there's a a baseball diamond and a a rodeo thing. And they make some wool shirts, just what you want when it's 115 degrees, you know, going to the Pendleton shirt factory. (laughs) And these kids, you know, they're up there. And it's so funny because the coach is a wonderful coach and really serious about the game. And doesn't let the kids play during the day or go in the pool or do anything. They have to stay in the hotel room there and, and be rested up, and so they're playing Nintendo. And so most of the parents aren't there. Tammy is, so she's got all these kids, you know, with her in, in the hotel room in Pendleton all day playing Nintendo. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful vacation? And they're going out there and doing the job, though. They're winning. It's, it's really cool. Benny had a triple and a double and a single last night. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was real pleased and proud and all that. And and uh, she's up there, you know, holding that fort down. So Sunday morning, I'm racing around trying to get out to church, you know. And normally, you know, Tambo irons my shirt or does whatever needs to be done. And I'm trying to do that kind of stuff. And... Then I go out to my car and I realize i got to grab some gum. So I go back into the house, open up the junk drawer to get some gum out of the junk drawer. And the junk drawer was jammed. Do your drawers ever get jammed? Has that ever happened to you where the drawer, you know, you pull it and it's jammed? So, so I'm late. So I'm shaking this drawer trying to get the gum out. You know what I mean? So I'm shaking this thing and it's, just, it's not moving. And I'm pulling it harder and harder. And then I put my hand up and try to figure out, you know, what's jamming it up. And, and I can't get, I can't, it's way back there. My hand won't fit that far back. So I just start banging it and banging it. And I was getting mad. I really was. I was getting real. You know, do you ever get mad at like a drawer or something? You just start really, you know, start punching it and, you know, you know, I was doing the whole thing. And, and here I was ready to go preach. You know, going out to church, getting all mad at this junk drawer, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, there's still junk in my life. There's still stuff that's got to be worked out. There's still lots of things that need to be worked through. And, man, the Lord, He's got His hands full with me. I think He might with some of you, too. There's work to do. He loves me passionately. See, I'm absolutely secure in that fact. I, I, I know that to be so. I, I know the Word and I've walked with the Lord and I don't doubt His passion for me at all. I used to. I don't anymore. 
But this I do know, even like Joseph here felt passion for his his younger brother Benjamin and, and for the family, yet he could not yet reveal himself because there was still work to be done. There was still work to do. There's still work to do with you and with me as well. So he, he wants to reveal himself, and yet he knows that the process has not yet run its full course. So he goes away and he washes his face, verse 31, and then he returns to them. He refrained himself and said, Set on bread, let's have communion. Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves. Joseph sat over here, and the rest sat over there. Why? He wasn't sitting at their table. Why? Because the Egyptians did eat by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. It is an abomination for the Egyptians to eat with the Hebrews. So in order to maintain his disguise, he would have to do that as well, sit over with the other Egyptians, you see. They just didn't eat together, kind of like, you know, a junior higher doesn't eat with a fifth grader. It doesn't work. There's this discrimination, you know. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. So Joseph here, he sits them down, starting with the oldest, Reuben, and going right down the row, he puts them in birth order. He puts these 11 brothers in, in birth order. And these guys say, hey, what in the world? How did he do that? How does he know that? They marveled. And he took, verse 34, Joseph did, and sent messes unto them. Now, that's food. <laughs> when I was single, well, I won't go into that right now. I could tell you a lot of stories about my kids' reactions. But uh, the mess doesn't mean mess. It, in our sense, it means food. He, he sent messes before them. But Benjamin's mess was five times more than any of theirs. Interesting. Benny got five times more than the others. Why was Joseph doing this? He wanted to see and observe their reaction. Because remember when Joseph got the big coat, the big sleeves, what was the reaction of the older brothers? Envy, jealousy, hostility, anger. Now Joseph, you see, that's why he can't reveal himself yet. He wants to see, have these older brothers really repented? Have they really changed? Or are they the same as they were when they dealt with me when I was the younger brother? And they were jealous and envious and angry and hostile and brutal. So he puts five times more fruit in front of Benjamin to see what their reaction might be. You see, the Lord will see, if you would, the changes that have taken place in my life by how I react to my brothers, not just when they're hurting, but when they're succeeding. It's easy to weep with those who weep. It's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. What do you mean? If somebody had a tragedy, a catastrophe, a problem, 
most of us can feel a certain amount of sympathy rather easily. But if somebody has everything going their way, it seems like they get all the breaks and they get all the, the good blessings, it's a little bit tougher sometimes for some of us to, to rejoice with those that rejoice. You'll know that a deep work has taken place when you not only weep with those who weep, but rejoice with those who rejoice and don't feel envious. You're not jealous. You're not envious. You're not hostile. You're not angry. You're not bitter. You're not cynical about why that guy's so blessed and why you're not. Why he has five times more food. Five times more blessing, it would seem. It's a test. And the test that our Joseph, our greater than Joseph, Jesus is seeing right now is how we treat our brothers. Not just the ones that are struggling and hurting, but the ones that are succeeding and soaring. How do we treat those that are doing well when we don't think that they really deserve it? He doesn't pray like I do. How come he is so blessed in what he does in his job or ministry? He's not as handsome as I am. How come he got that good-looking lady? He's not as smart as I am. How come he got the promotion and I'm not promoted, you see? How do you react? That's the test that our greater than Joseph, Jesus, is watching for. You see, love is the key. If I have faith to move mountains and give my body to be burned and have all knowledge and speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not what? Love. It's nothing. All men will know that you're my disciples, our Lord said, by your love, one for another. Now, who is the another? It's the one who's weeping and the one who's rejoicing. It's the one that's not doing so good and the one that's doing really well that you wonder why, you see. So he was watching carefully. Now, again, for you guys that are looking at the types here, and they drank, verse 34 ends, and were merry with him. They drank and were merry. At first they were fearful. They were wondering, oh, he's brought us into this table to, to rinse on us, to rail on us, to imprison us. Then they realize, hey, this is cool. He really loves us. Now, watch this, students of prophecy. Who do these ten brothers represent? The ten tribes, the ten, what we call sometimes, lost tribes of Israel. What time in prophecy is this portraying? The tribulation period, in which Jesus will be making himself known and working on and working through the Jew. But it's a process that they'll go through. It's a purifying time. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time when Israel's going to go through unparalleled difficulty. That little land in the Middle East, Israel. But watch this. Even before, please note this, even before, get this, even before they know Joseph. Joseph is dining with them, providing for them, caring about them, and was being merry with them. 
Why do I say that? Because there's a misnomer. People tend to think, well, because the Jewish people, for the most part, because they are not yet understanding who Yeshua is, who Jesus is, until they understand that, the Lord has nothing to do with them. The Lord has no relationship or no interaction. This story portrays otherwise. Oh, they're not yet saved into eternal life. But Jesus, Yeshua, cares passionately about the Jewish people and is at work and blessing and enjoying even before they know exactly who He is. This amazes me. It says they drank and were merry with Him. They were enjoying Him and He was relating to them. They didn't yet sit at the same table. They were across the room. There was a distance, but there was this interaction. And that must be understood when you're talking about the Jewish people or the Israeli nation. There's not yet a total communion because they haven't yet realized who Jesus is, but there's still this tremendous interaction. And when you talk with the Jewish people, you will get a sense in many of them that they have a deep love for God. And there is a real interaction going on with God, even though they do not yet know what they will know in the time of the tribulation. Now, I may have confused you on that point, but for those of you that are aware of prophecy and the plan of God for the Jew, this is an important picture of what Jesus will do even before they know who He is. Caring about them, being merry with them, relating to them. Very important. Well, He drinks and is merry with them. And he commanded, verse 1, the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. Fill up their sacks with food, put the money back in again. Now watch this, verse 2. And put my cup. Whose cup? Joseph's cup. Put my cup, the silver cup. Silver what would silver signify? Silver is the metal that speaks of, in the Bible, redemption. It would also be, as we shall see the story unfold, a reminder of their sin. Because they sold Joseph for what? Silver. Twenty pieces of silver. Now watch this. This is great. The plot thickens. Joseph here, who called them into his house, who was merry with them, who provided for them, now Joseph says, send them on their way. Take my cup. What cup? Remember what Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it be possible, let this what? Cup pass from me. You see, in Egypt, the silver cup was called the divining cup. And important people, rulers of the nation, would have a silver cup which spoke of their authority and they would use it to divine or determine God's will. The silver cup, you know, the Chinese would read tea leaves or the Japanese or whatever. The Irish looked for a four-leaf clover. Well, in Egypt, they had a divining cup. It was a silver cup. 
It was to determine what they should do. Now think with me, if you would. Jesus says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup, which is the cup of suffering, the cup that He was to drink, the cross, the blood that would be shed, let this cup, redemption, silver cup, if you would, let this cup, this cup, pass from me, nevertheless, not what? My will, but thy will be done, the divining cup. Thy will be done, Father, thy will. Redemption, even as Jesus would be sold for silver, so was Joseph. Yet there was a plan of redemption. The cup. The divining cup. What's your will, Father? Let your will be done as I hold this cup symbolically to you. Let this cup pass from me. Put my cup. Put my divining cup. My cup of authority. The silver cup. Put it in the sack of the youngest. Who was the youngest? Benjamin. And his money too. So this servant did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses, and when they were gone out of the city, not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Get up, follow after that man. Turn on your sirens and overtake them. Oh. <laughs> Go after him. And when you catch up with them, say, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Why have you done this evil thing when we were good to you? Is not this in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? You have done evil in so doing. And so, that was the instruction. All part of Joseph's plan. Put this cup in the sack, and then go after him. And tell him, why have you taken the divining cup? The cup. The cup. So, verse 6, he did that. This servant did. He overtook them. And he spoke to those brothers these same words. And they said to him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? What are you talking about? God forbid that thy servant should do according to this thing. You're accusing us of taking his divining cup? You're crazy. Behold, verse 8, The money which we found in our sack's mouths, we brought again unto thee. We gave you the money we found previously. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? Ah, with whomever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we will also be my Lord's bondmen. Hey, if your cup is with us, whoever has that cup, let him die, and we'll be your slaves. That's crazy. We didn't take your, your master's divining cup. We wouldn't do that. Why would we do that? We brought back the money we found in our sacks previously. We're not thieves. We wouldn't do this kind of evil. And he said, verse 10, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and you shall be blameless. In other words, he says, No, I'm not going to kill the person that has your cup, or has the cup, pardon me. I'll just make him a slave, and the rest of you can go free. Then, well, they speedily, verse 10, took down every man his sack to the ground, and they opened up every man his sack. And he searched, and began at the eldest, 
And then he went all the way through <laughs> these 11 brothers, and there was no cup, no cup, no cup, no cup. And he went to the youngest, Benjamin, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now what are they going to do? They rent their clothes. That's what they did. They tore their clothes and they laded every man his ass and returned to the city. Oh, no! Now what did the steward say? Hey, you can go free. Just the one who stole the cup is going to be my slave. Another test. What are you going to do now, boys? You can go free. But it means Benjamin would go down into Egypt as what? What did they do with Joseph? They sent Joseph down to Egypt as a slave. See, Joseph is testing them again. Now what are you going to do? Oh, at the table I gave Benny five times more food to see if you were envious. You passed that test. But now, but now what are you going to do? Are you going to let him be taken into slavery that you can go free? Or are you going to jeopardize your own lives and stand with Benny? What are you going to do? Now, quickly, prophecy students. This cup. Where was the cup found? In the sack of whom? Benjamin. Zechariah chapter 12 says something that's interesting about a cup. It says there's to be a cup of, a cup of trembling. Just like Benjamin here, when the cup was seen in his sack, it caused the brothers to what? To tremble. They were afraid. The cup of trembling. There it is in the sack. Oh no, they tear their clothes. They're, they're distraught. They're disconcerted. They're, they're, oh no, they're trembling with fear. Zechariah 12 says there's going to be another cup of trembling. The cup of trembling is, does anyone recall? Jerusalem. Where is the city of Jerusalem located? Israel, right. But I mean, what tribe is it in? It's in the tribe of Benjamin. All very interesting to me. The cup of trembling that Zechariah talks about, Jerusalem. That's going to cause all nations to tremble and all nations to stumble. It's in the tribe of Benjamin. The cup of trembling, just like the cup here in our story, is in the sack of Benjamin. And it's causing great trembling in the brothers and great repercussions amongst the nations. What nations? The sons of Jacob and the who? Egyptians. Egypt is a type of what? The world. Oh, I wish I could just explore this with you. You're saying, don't think about it. But it's perfect. The trembling that Benjamin felt is a picture of what's going to be what is already starting to happen right now, presently. Yasser Arafat declaring Palestinian statehood May of next year, whether Israel agrees or not. Yasser Arafat has won a seat in the United Nations as a semi-official sovereign state, not quite fully given to him yet. But the United Nations is acknowledging the Palestinian statehood. It's being set up. It's being readied. It has one more step to go, but by winning this last vote that they won last week, Overwhelmingly, the Palestinians were, were awarded a seat to be observers in the UN, to be uh, members of certain councils. It's the next last step before statehood takes place. 
But the interesting thing is, is Yasser Arafat has gone on record again two weeks ago, clearly, that Jerusalem will be the capital of an independent, sovereign Palestinian state. This is going to cause huge problems. It's not about political parties. It's not about ethnic divisions. It's about religion, folks. It's about Islam. It's about the God of Israel claiming the same territory. It's huge. The repercussions of this event when Yasser Arafat follows through in May of next year to declare a Palestinian state, whether Israel acknowledges or agrees, he has gone on record over and over in the past week saying it will happen. And the first lady of our own country has now appeared, as you know, two months ago on TV to say that it should happen. And she was not speaking on her own, folks. This week's Time magazine points out that the two closest people in the administration today are Hillary Clinton and Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Read the article when you get home. Pick up the news magazine if you can. Hillary Clinton has moved her agenda from national health care and national issues into foreign policy. She is a point man, no, not man, point woman for the administration. All that's to say is simply this. If you think the Middle East is shaky now, it's going to be trembling next May. A cup of trembling. Zechariah said, the cup of trembling. Father, he said, trembling, if this be possible, let this cup pass from me, Jesus prayed. Benjamin, trembling when the cup appears in his sack. Zechariah, Jerusalem in the tribe of Benjamin shall be a cup of trembling. And all nations shall stumble in the issue, Zechariah goes on to say, of trying to solve the problem of Jerusalem. This is exciting stuff for me. Not because I like to see tension, but because of what it leads to, what it means. It means that Jesus is coming. It means the end is at hand. It means that we're going to heaven. It means the Lord is going to come back and establish rightness on the earth. It means pollution and problems and pain and sin and sadness and suffering is going to be put away as He rules and reigns on earth. Oh, happy day. Happy day. Happy day. I'm tired of seeing sadnesses and I'm tired of seeing sicknesses and I'm tired of seeing struggles of the soul. I'm tired of it. How I long to see that time when the trees of the field clap their hands and the mountains break forth into song and, and there shall be peace like a river flowing through this world. And men will study war no more and every man will abide under his own vine. And things are going to be right at last. And pornography will be put away. And drugs will be done in. And people won't be broken apart by sin. It's going to be a great day. So when we talk about these things in Jerusalem, it's not that we're excited about people being hurt on the streets of Jerusalem or war breaking out in the Middle East. No, you missed the point. That's not it. That's just the birth pang to bring forth what? The kingdom. 
Yeah, there's labor pains. Yes, there's birth pains. But something is happening. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. It'll be so great to know that we can let our kids go wherever and do whatever and not have to worry about influences or infections or satanic attacks or fleshly temptations. What a great day that's going to be. Get ready, get ready, man. It's on the way. The cup of trembling. Well, back to our story quickly. The cup. The cup. The silver cup. Oh my, there's layer after layer that you can think through if you wish to. Well, they rent their clothes, verse 13. Oh no, it's in Benjamin's sack. And Judah, Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house. For he was yet there. They fell before him on the ground, I guess so. And Joseph said, What deed is this that you have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? Don't you know that I knew what you were up to in stealing my silver cup? And Judah said, Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of Benjamin. No. God hath found out the iniquity of whom? Thy servants. Right. This is it. Judah didn't say, what can we say our little brother here botched it? Yeah, sorry, Benny. You're a slave. Judah here says, we've sinned. The chickens are coming home to roost. What we have sown, we are now reaping. He is confessing that he, that they, the older brothers, are sinners. And what they are now getting is what they deserve to get. They're not sending Joseph, or pardon me, Benjamin to the wolves. They're acknowledging we're in this jam because because we've been bad apples. We've blown it. Interesting question for you students of the Bible. Why wasn't it Reuben that stood up and said this? Reuben was the older brother. Reuben should have been the spokesman. Why didn't Reuben take the role of offering this confession to Joseph? Why wasn't Reuben the one who would make intercession before Joseph? There's a simple reason, I believe. The name Judah in the Old Testament is the same as Judas in the New Testament. Judah is the Old Testament name. Judas is the New Testament name. It's the same name. Like I'm John in America and Juan in Mexico. Same name. Different pronunciation. Interesting because here are a group of men, twelve brothers. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Interesting because the worst of them, the worst of them was Judas. But what did Jesus say right after he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane about that cup, that cup, that cup of suffering? 
When Jesus saw Judas coming in his direction, what did he say? Friend, what are you seeking? What are you up to, Judas, Judah? Confess. Get right. Come clean. Talk to me. I already know your story, Jesus could say. But talk to me, Judah. Talk to me, Judas. And now we see Judah, the one who is addressing Joseph. Only unlike, different than Judas in the New Testament, who didn't come clean, this Judas, or Judah, confesses. I'm to blame. We're to blame. We have betrayed. We have betrayed, as he will say. We have betrayed innocent blood. Interesting. And now he begins this marvelous confession, this wonderful intercession. Judah said, what can we say, verse 16? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and and he also, Benjamin, with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. The steward told us that. And as for you, speaking to us, we can get up and go our way to our father. But Judah came near and would say, Oh, my Lord, let my thy servants speak, I pray thee. Speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let not thine anger burn against thy servant. You are even as Pharaoh. You're equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, Benjamin. And his brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou sayest unto thy servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to your servants, verse 23, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. By the way, unless... Your brother comes down, you shall see my face no more. Benjamin is a picture, is also a type of Christ Jesus. Why? Remember when he was born? What did his mother name him? When he was born, when Rachel was was birthing him, when Rachel was birthing Benjamin, Rachel had already birthed Joseph. That was her oldest birth son. And then comes Benjamin And as she birthed him, what did she say? She said, his name shall be Benoni, which means son of sorrow. Because she died in birthing him. And dad grabbed him after Rachel died, and dad grabbed this baby as Rachel died in childbirth that day. He shall not be Benoni, he shall be Benjamin. Son of my right hand. Jesus is the man of sorrows. Son of sorrow. Benoni. Son of sorrows. Son of sorrows who bore the sin of the world. The man of sorrows. But, but he's also 
at the right hand of the Father. For after he died for the sins of the world, what happened? He was resurrected and he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. Benjamin is a picture too, like his older brother Joseph. He's a picture of, of Jesus as well. Benoni, Benjamin. That's why he had the silver cup. That's why it was in Benjamin's sack, because it would be Jesus that would hold the cup of redemption, you see. And this phrase interests me, that you're not going to see my face unless, unless Benjamin comes down. And we cannot see the face of our Father in heaven. We can have no relationship with the King of all creation unless Jesus had come down and died for our sins. Come down where? To Egypt. Come down to the world and paid the price. It came to pass, he goes on to say, verse 24, When we came up unto thy servant my father, we told him the words of, of my Lord, and our father said, Go again and buy a little food. And we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. Then we can go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us, Benjamin. And thy servant, my father, said, You know that my wife bore me two sons. Rachel bore me two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And one went out from me. And I said, Surely he is torn in pieces. That's what the brothers had told their dad, didn't they? Joseph had been torn in pieces by wild beasts that day. You, you know this. One is torn in pieces, I saw him not since. If you take this one from me, Benjamin, and mischief befalls him. Implication, I don't trust you guys. You're mischief makers. <laughs> you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Oh, now therefore, verse 30, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us. Here he is, Judah still talking to Joseph. Oh, if the lad's not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life. The father's life is bound up in whose life? The son's life. And the son's life is bound up in the father's life. Oh boy. I won't go there right now, but my goodness. It shall come to pass, verse 31, when he, dad, Jacob, sees the lad is not with us, he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. If, if, if you don't let Benjamin go, our father will die from sorrow. And Judah goes on to say, Thy servant, me, Judah, became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not to thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord. All be your slave, but let Benjamin go. Let me serve you. All be a slave here perpetually. Let Benjamin go. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see evil that shall come upon my father? This is so glorious. It's a beautiful intercessory prayer from the lips of Judah to Joseph. He shows two things here. Number one, he shows a love for his father. And he shows, number two, a loyalty to his brother. Judah shows he loves his dad. I can't let dad go through this. And he shows loyalty to Benjamin. And I won't let Benjamin stay here 
in slavery. Oh, Joseph, hearing this, I'll only look at a couple more verses and we'll be through, believe me. But look at this. And Joseph, verse 1, could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried. I mean, this guy breaks down. This is the second time he cries. Jesus cried twice, didn't he? And now Joseph cries again. And Joseph caused every man to go out from him. All the servants, all the armed guards, all the aides that were there. Flee, he said, beat it. And there stood no man with him while Joseph then, Joseph now, made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians heard. And Pharaoh heard. I mean, this guy is really wailing. I mean, he's weeping. and he, Oh, man. He, Judah's intercession, Judah's prayer touched him. Judah's prayer touched him. Judah's prayer, caring about his brother, loving on his father, caused Joseph, he could refrain no longer. Judah, yes, you passed the test, Judah. You passed the test. You didn't. You didn't allow Benjamin to be held in slavery. You do care about your father. You have confessed your sin. And Joseph was moved. You want to know how to move the heart of your Lord? Pray. Confess your sin. Acknowledge your love for His Father, our Father. And be loyal to your brother. Pray for people. Care about people. Joseph here was just touched deeply. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph. (sighs) I can't wait to see the video on this thing. I really can't. I'm Joseph. What must they have thought? How that must have hit them. I think of Paul going on his way to Damascus that day. And he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Terror must have filled their hearts. Confusion must have flooded their brains. Anxiety must have caused them to quiver physically. What does this mean? This guy is weeping. He's crying. He's Joseph? What does this mean? We'll find out in our next study. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, I just thank You for being who You are. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. You do test us. Not to see us fail, but You test us to see us fixed. You test us not to watch us go down, but You test us to bring us up. Just like Joseph did with these fellas. And I thank You for that. That Your ways are not our ways and Your thoughts are different than our thoughts. Where we would be harsh and judgmental, 
bitter and cynical. You say to me and to us, come and dine. Come and dine at the Master's table. And Jesus, I know that You're going to reveal Yourself to us fully at the right time. And it seems, Lord, as though the signs indicate that that time is right around the bend. We look forward to that. So in the meantime, do Your work in our lives, Lord. Even as Melanie sang at the beginning, Mold us and make us, take us and change us into the image of Jesus, Father. And I pray that this might be a night when we would go our way knowing that everything that takes place and goes on and all the things that come down are all part of a divine design by one who loves us passionately. May your peace be upon these, your people. And may we have understanding in Jesus' name. Amen.